My daddy was a miner, and I'm a miner's son. He'll be with you, fellow workers, until this battle's won. Tell me which side are you on? Welcome to the Damnificast, a podcast about the TV show Damnation. This week, it's just the two of us, just just the regular old couple of guys talking about this very good flying show. solo, <laughs> flying together, flying duo. Um, <laughs> that's what they're <laughs> that's what I'm calling it now. Uh, we will have somebody on next week, Marika Rose, to talk about episode seven. Uh, but wouldn't you know it, trying to schedule two podcasts uh, all summer is really hard. Um, and we're just so difficult. We're just, the hardest thing. <laughs> we're doing this one on our own. Uh, I think it'll be all right. All right. Yeah, we can really indulge all of our, all of our dumb <laughs> jokes and our worst impulses in this our, one. Our so. dumb jokes, our worst impulses, our complete lack of, of expertise. Uh, this is just par for the course. We're hitting par, not under, not above. <laughs> Great. <laughs> really important we golf really, metaphor. We're really off to a good start here. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, as usual, let's just start out with the uh, the Wikipedia. Uh, I love I love the effort put into this podcast. The Wikipedia description for this episode. Um, it's not bad. The Wikipedia does it a really good job. does. You know, the USA website does it too well. You can't do it unless you want to teach it to your eighth graders. So you got to use Wikipedia. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Oh my god. <clears throat> in an extended flashback, we see Seth, Creeley, and Lou in Wyoming a decade earlier. The three young men worked as hired guns. <laughs> I was going to say hired hands, uh, but no, they're hired guns for Seth and Creeley's short tempered father, Graham Turner, helping him clear the land for an oil company. In Iowa, in the present day, Creeley at gunpoint accuses Seth of being a fraud and framing him for murder. But before Creeley can take Seth to the authorities, Lou Nez arrives and Creeley is forced to drop his weapon. Food distributor Melvin Stubbs announces his candidacy for sheriff. In another flashback, the younger Seth tries to protect the timid Creeley from their father and is beaten for it. Graham takes Creeley to a homestead house for his first kill, telling him he can finally put a notch in his gun. In the present day, Creeley awakes from being knocked out by Seth and Lou. He's been left without his gun or boots. He arrives at the brothel to regroup, telling Bessie that he'll never be free of Eggers Hyde, PhD, unless Seth confesses to the murders Creeley was arrested for. Sheriff Berryman arrests Creeley for the body on the Ferris wheel, though Creeley says it was Seth, claiming that there could be more bodies under his church. Sheriff Berryman arrives at the church and finds the bodies Creeley had placed there. Amelia strikes a deal. Since Sheriff Berryman needs the farmer's votes to beat Melvin Stubbs in the election, she bargains for extra time to find the real killer. While Sheriff Berryman and Amelia come up with a cover story, Seth and Lou rob the bank in order to help fund the struggling farmers. Creeley witnesses this from his cell in the sheriff's station, and Seth acknowledges his brother while fleeing with Lou. In a final Wyoming flashback, Seth recovers from his beating at the hands of their father. Creeley cuts his own side out of guilt for his first kill, giving a notch to himself instead of his gun. In the present day, Creeley returns to the brothel after being released by Sheriff Berryman, only to find Martin Eggers Hyde, PhD, reading the underground newspaper and waiting for him. 
I didn't notice that actually that it was an underground newspaper. Thank you, yeah. Wikipedia. Yeah, me either. Uh, Bessie watches as Creeley is driven away by Eggers Eyed PhD to an uncertain fate. Phew. There you have it. All right. That's great. I love this episode um, so much. There's so much cool stuff yeah. that happens. But before we get to the cool stuff, we do need to do um, the solemn journalistic work of our first ever Damnificast retraction. Yep. It's a sad day here at the Damnificast uh, editorial office, but it's something that every good outlet needs to wrestle with at one point or another. Uh, And this retraction is that there is, in fact, no such person, no such character as Pitchfork Pete, much beloved character of last episode with Emma Kennedy. Uh, In fact, the character is actually named Pitchfork Perry. So it's a bummer that Pitchfork Pete is not his name and it's Pitchfork Perry instead. But so, I mean, you could take this, you could look at this in a few different ways. Uh, The first way is that we're wrong. And I refuse to believe that. (laughs) The other way to think about this is that Pitchfork Pete is a character off screen and is actually just the younger brother of Pitchfork Perry who accidentally chose the same wrestling name as his Yeah, brother. I like that. That's a good uh like uh moonshine half full kind of way of looking at this situation. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I like that interpretation too because it sets up a really nice narrative parallel to Creeley and Seth where Pitchfork Pete can be uh, a, a traveling atheist uh wrestler. Um in contrast to Pitchfork Perry. <laughs> the thing about this universe that Damnation takes place in is that everyone has a brother who is their opposite. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Even Amelia. Uh, we're still waiting to see him. <laughs> or her. Who knows? Or, or her. But they're all out there. They're all out there. <laughs> uh, yep. So RIP Pitchfork Pete. But on the bright side, Pitchfork Pete is now our uh, our intellectual property. Uh, TM, TM, TM. Copyrighted uh, in perpetuity. <laughs> When we did, when we could do the expanded, uh, the expanded universe of the Damnation in like a comic book someday, that'll be all. It'll be all Pitchfork Pete all the time. Yeah, that's right. In our series of uh, poorly edited novels, uh, Pitchfork Pete will be the star. <laughs> Can't wait! Can't wait to do that. Um, cool. Well, now that we have that out of the way, now that we've done um, what everyone expects of us in our, uh, you know, just to do the journalistic uh, integrity kind of yeah. thing, we're done with that part. Now we can kind of move on. Um, so this episode is absolutely awesome and I think hits it out of the park in a lot of different ways. Um, there's so much cool stuff going on in this episode. We get the backstory of characters and that's great. We get, you know, current events happening. <laughs> we get Amelia be- being amazing and like uh, really uh really working it out with the sheriff and there's also the best bank robbery i've ever seen in my entire life in this episode it's so just the best feeling i get so excited when i watch it but also this episode is a giant creely sympathy episode (laughs) so if you have hated this guy all the way up until now and even the last one didn't do it for you this episode is gonna make you feel sorry for for old squealy and uh in a good way not in a cheap way i think so it's pretty cool yeah Um, yeah i think you're right uh i i should issue my own personal retraction uh of being such a uh a lame complainer about the episode uh last week i feel like uh i feel like i was too hard on it i was i was too impatient i just wanted to get back to the plot and i was so unfairly nervous about losing it and uh boy was i wrong um yeah glad to glad to be back in the saddle <laughs> this is an introduction full of retractions. I love full that. of retractions well, and new cowboy puns. <laughs> there we go. 
Uh, well, the episode opens up. Uh, okay, wait. Okay, hang on. Two steps backwards, I guess. At the end of the last episode, it ends with um, Seth on the ground, clearly pointing his gun at Seth and saying, I don't want to be held accountable for your sins anymore, or whatever he says. Not that. Uh, that would have been <laughs> That's a bad perfect delivery. Say. I think that's exactly how he said it. <laughs> yeah, great. Well, okay, so instead of opening up with the resolution of that scene, we get a cool flashback, and that is what we've all been waiting for. Why are these guys mad at each other what happened in their childhood you've been asking this entire time and now you get to know a little bit more about the uh seth creely and lou backstory and it's fantastic so dean do you want to talk through a little bit of that let's do it uh so instead of breaking up the flashback throughout the episode um it's probably better to just talk about it as like one big chunk um so let's do it i'll run i'll hit the high points and we can break it down so uh All right. In the beginning, uh, we see all three of them, Seth, Creeley, and Lou, uh, hanging around in Wyoming as young adults. They get sent by their shitty dad, Graham, uh, to go to this like small, um, small farming operation and evict, by which they mean kill a bunch of people, to make way for an oil company that I guess like Graham um, is trying to, you know, clear the land for. Um, so the, the flashbacks are scattered throughout, but in them, Creeley transforms from a, a softy into a murderer. Uh, so in the very beginning, he's essentially, um, Creeley is, is trying to, to negotiate, especially with Seth, not to kill this guy, uh, because he sees that this guy who's homesteading the land has like a family and, you know, he, he sort of feels moved not to do it. So he spares his life. And uh, when Seth and Creeley get back, um, it turns out that uh, Seth tries to cover for Creeley um, in this kind of like unexpected act of mercy. And Graham's not buying it. So he beats Seth, uh, knocks him out, and then he brings Creeley back to the homestead uh, to have a shootout with the people there and finally kill the guy that Creeley spared earlier in the day, which is like a pretty brutal moment. Uh, which Creeley does, and his dad, or or Graham, I guess, more appropriately, gives him a knife, uh, and it's kind of this like weird, bizarre, perverse coming-of-age situation, and Creeley uses that knife to mark not his gun, but his side uh, to, to remember his first victim, and the flashback scenes kind of all end with Creeley doing that, uh, marking that side while sitting on a bed, watching over his unconscious brother, Seth, who, you know, is unconscious because he covered for Creeley earlier. That's it. Yeah, it's a really it's a really illuminating flashback, I think, that tells us a lot more um, about, you know, who Creeley is, who Seth is, but also to, that just, like, you know, the that they are working for their shitty dad, who is awful um, and terrible, uh, to clear the land for, like, an oil company is also really interesting to me, too. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of as a, as a sort of, like, meta moment in the story, um... You know, when we talked to Tony a few, I don't know, man, months ago now, um, he said that, you know, that in, uh, in if there's a season two, he wanted to talk about how this is all connected to the military industrial complex and, and that kind of thing. But like it's in it's in like moments of storytelling like this where they are actually like doing the work of this larger company that we see some of those plans, you know, um, like the seeds of those plans there that um, this is what their family is doing, that they're involved in this like really sort of violent takeover of uh, the Midwest or not Midwest, but Wyoming um, and like the natural resources there. So I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Just like that. That was like uh, to me, it, it says something about the show overall and kind of like the 
types of violence that are inherent in those, uh, uh, you know, primitive accumulation. Yeah, that's right. I think that's one thing that is really neat about Damnation is that a lot of the characters are actually kind of interesting vehicles for, uh, or <laughs> they, they're they like the pawns on the board of these much larger capitalist forces. Uh, and they get, yeah. their lives get like battered around by all these, you know, financiers and bankers and people who are kind of pulling the strings from somewhere else. I think that is very neat. Um, it's a good way of talking about the material consequences of ideology, but it also brings out how those get reproduced by the way that people just think of themselves in the world. Like there's that scene where, uh, you know, their, uh, Graham and Creeley are standing over the guy who's pleading for his life, this homesteader. And, uh, Graham tries to moralize the situation, I guess, to make Creeley feel better about it by saying, you know, this guy right. just like wants the space for just him and his family. But this oil uh, company that is going to take this land is going to provide, you know, jobs for like 100 people. So isn't he just being selfish, you know? And I think that is where Damnation really shines is is connecting like the personal with the the metapolitical. Yeah, that's true. And even um, before that happens, when they're kind of sitting at the table before uh, Graham uh, knocks just the stuff and out of uh, Seth. Um, he says, you know, like I'm, I'm doing this so you guys have like a better life, that kind of spiel. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting how, um, doing this type of, this type of work for an oil company is, um, moralized in the sense that he does the end, but also like personalized and familialized or whatever. And it's, that's the beginning where it's like, you know, Graham's not doing this because he's a bad person or whatever. Graham's doing it for a lot of reasons. So his family can have a better life, but also there's like these like larger ideas at work too. But, but I mean, in the end though, I mean, he's doing the work of primitive accumulation, right? He's, he's get he's getting the uh, oil company, the land um, when, you know, by some, uh, pretty bad means. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I don't know. It's pretty cool. It's an interesting point. Not uh, not many shows will tell you about primitive accumulation, <laughs> but this one will. Yeah, I think Graham is actually kind of an interesting character to talk more about because he's so you know not super developed. He he's just the, a foil for for many other things. Um, but I think it's fair to say that he is a bad person. He's he's super abusive in a sadistic way. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, that sadistic sense of violence gets mediated through both Creeley and Seth in different ways too. It seems like there are scenes just yeah. thinking back earlier in the season now where you can almost see Seth channeling, you know, that's that sadism, uh, from, from Graham, uh, and the same with Creeley. Um, that's really interesting how they sort of negotiate that like toxicity. Yeah. And they've both tried to repurpose it for some reason, but it, um, you know, the repurposing never really kind of comes without accident or without a huge cost to them. Right. Um, yeah, man, it's good storytelling. <laughs> uh, all right. So the, the, the main purpose of this flashback, like we said, is to, to establish Creeley as a guy who, you know, once was soft, um, and even had like quite a conscience, right. And was, was extremely merciful and, wanted to live in a more merciful world, et cetera. Uh, and now he, he's a killer. That's, the, that's his first, you know, slash his first scar on his body. Um, and here we, yeah. here we are later. Maybe we should talk about the scar on his body for a minute though. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Let's. Because it is like, mm, I, there's a lot of things that we could say about it, I guess. Um, but the thing that comes to my mind immediately is that, you know, like it's the, the notch on the gun, is like the signification of like that's one one person that you've that you've taken their life that's like you know um 
it's a type of like phrase or imagery that like we get, but that he puts it on his body is like really interesting to me. It expresses like, I mean, a first it expresses a type of taking it seriously that a notch on the gun doesn't right? that he kills somebody. So he's going to make himself bleed. Um, it's like a, it's a type of bodily memory that like, you know, he killed this person and now he can't forget it. Cause it's like literally scarred upon his flesh. Um, it, it also makes me think too of like the other ways that the show talks about bodies though, and like the body of God and like the how the workers are that. But but Creeley's body isn't like that type of body. It's a different one, something mm. that's scarred and striated by a whole different type of logic and a whole different uh, type of doing things. And man, is it an interesting thing to have written to the story? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's there's an almost like penitential moment in it too. You know, that's like doing penance yeah. and self-flagellating in one one kind of way. Uh, and it's also worth noting that the last episode, I think it was, is also where he had to switch sides, right? That he'd finally That's filled right. up one side. So it's interesting to now go back to the very first time after there's this moment of, of excess and reflection in the last episode. Mm-hmm. All right. It's great. So that's a flashback. It's a good one. Uh, well, let's get back to the, the show's present day. Let's do it. So, like I said, several minutes ago, um, the last episode leaves off with Creeley pointing a gun at Seth on the ground. Uh, the flashback ends and you're right back to that spot where the show left off. And, uh, you know, Seth is or, uh, Creeley is telling Seth that, you know, he's going to take him in. This is, He's not going to pay for his sins anymore. And we still don't know exactly what that means. Something with um, killing someone named Cynthia. We don't know a lot about it yet, but we'll we'll get there. Um, but before all of that can really unfold the way Creeley wants it to, Lou swoops in and, uh, they get the, they get the drop on Creeley. And, uh, so Lou has a gun on Creeley and then Seth's able to get up and also get a gun on Creeley and they end up knocking him out and they steal his boots. Dang. Dick move. What a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Insult to injury. Yeah. Uh, there's this part, this is completely, uh, a completely stupid aside, but there's this part later where, um, Creeley does make it back to the brothel and Bessie's like, where are your boots? Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to tell you, but it's just in that moment, I just realized like, Oh no, he's it's the 1930s and he doesn't have a second pair of yeah. shoes. Like I do. Right. Right. That's a bummer. <laughs> that is how you get tetanus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, well, um, we don't have to necessarily move through the episode in chronological order, but there are a ton of scenes that I want to talk about. Um, <laughs> one kind of meta theme, though, before we get to that, I think that really stood out for me is the amount of people that just have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, not only just the, the townspeople who have no idea what's going on, um, but just in general, you know, like the, the show opens, this episode opens with Creeley and, and Seth and Lou, you know, these intimate characters who are like familiar with all the moving parts in the conflict. Uh, but pretty soon after that, like we get a scene, uh, a couple scenes with Calvin Rumpel, um, and then later with, with Sheriff Berryman that show that these two characters basically like still don't have any idea what's really at stake. Like <laughs> Calvin Rumpel, uh, he, you know, is, is, uh, he's all he wants to do is leave town. 
um, but he can't for a number of reasons. And he's like kind of beholden to these financial forces that are beyond his understanding. He doesn't really know why. Like he's just like a, a weird soft banker who, who would prefer not to be in the situation in the first place. Uh, Sheriff Berryman, same thing. Like he thinks he's in the know because he's got like a speakeasy or whatever, but actually he too doesn't really know these financial forces behind, you know, Rumple and, and the strike breaker and everything else. And I think that sense of like chaos, uh, or that sense of unknowing is also like a really neat piece of this whole story that kind of just never dawned on me till now, really. Yeah, I know. I think it's great. Um, just that, you know, sometimes in TV shows, things will happen where like, you know, an important event will happen and one character knows about it. And then all of a sudden everyone knows about yeah. it and we don't know exactly how, you know, like as the propeller turns, everyone now knows about whatever thing has happened. But in this one, it's not, it's not the case. And like part of the drama of the story is just, uh, Sheriff Berryman being wrong <laughs> about stuff. And, uh, that's funny. And Calvin Rumpel not knowing even who he's working for. Right. How wild is that? <laughs> yeah, that that scene is so um, so interesting to me. So it's like uh, Sh- Sheriff Berryman and Calvin Rumpel are having like this like sit down talk in uh, Berryman's speakeasy, and they just they just caught Calvin Rumpel because he was trying to skip town, and they're having this conversation about like you know Calvin Rumpel, do you even know who you're working for? Yeah. He's like uh no <laughs> and then Barryman is like well that strike breaker that you hired like he works for this other family called the Duvals and apparently that makes Kelvin Rumpel very scared we don't know exactly why yet but the Duvals are apparently some type of you know rich aristocratic sort of family um and Kelvin Rumpel does say a great line he says uh yeah I shouldn't be trying to skip town i should be trying to sprint yeah. from town and uh it's great it makes me it, it's such a good moment though because calvin rumple is like you know easily just super hateable right there's nothing redeeming about him he's just a, a twerp uh but in this moment it's like you see that he's really just like caught in the middle of something that he does not get and it's like oh no calvin please get out <laughs> they're going you're gonna get killed somehow please calvin go yeah he's the <laughs> you can't handle the slide the sad conan o'brien definitely uh <laughs> is is confirmed here um i love that scene yeah. too because like sheriff berryman is talking to calvin rumples though you know rumples a complete idiot but like berryman had no idea about this like three days earlier and would never have known unless bessie told him specifically uh so like yeah that. And he also still thinks that this is all like some kind of conspiracy against right. him. <laughs> right, right. That's right. Like that's why he cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <What? laughs> uh, it's wild. Yep. Um cool. Well, um uh another place the show kind of picks up from the last um pretty quickly is um we get a, a quick uh, right, right after the uh stuff with uh Creeley and Lou and, and Seth uh, kind of escaping Creeley. We do get a quick snap back to the uh, uh, the Ferris wheel at the um, at the carnival because that's all still happening. Apparently, right. <laughs> time works in very crazy ways when you're doing a podcast a week apart from one another. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyways, yeah, um, it kind of again, it snaps right back to this uh, the carnival. There's this dead body on it. And there's like all these people just kind of like gawking at the dead body. And Sheriff Berryman's like, oh, yeah, nothing to see here. <laughs> and um, his like nephew. Oh, my gosh. the I don't know what the nephew's name is, but he is so funny. Yeah. Um, what a complete goof. There's this part where I don't even know. It doesn't matter what he says at all. But um, Sheriff 
Berryman's nephew is like the deputy. And there's this part where he says, uh, Uncle Sheriff Don, yeah. <laughs> like, what should we do? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I love that because like the stupid deputy trope is is a good one, but also like the stupid nepotism trope is a good one. So to combine them yeah. here, it's, it's really great. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of um, uh, Deputy Andy from Twin Peaks in the sense that he's like aloof and kind of a ding dong, but uh, but Deputy Andy from Twin Peaks is also infinitely more likable. Uh, but I do love the two honorifics. Uncle Sheriff Don is so good. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the real feeling that like you have this job and you're still not sure if you're supposed to eat the big kids table or the little kids table at Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah, so they're at the fair and uh, unsuccessfully um, Sheriff Berryman. It looks like it's going to be successful that he's, he's turning everyone away, but uh, it's unsuccessful because... A, uh, a guy in the crowd named Melvin Stubbs sort of takes this as a, an opportunity to question the sheriff in public and to question his ability to really keep everything in order. And he announces his campaign for sheriff at the fair, uh, and he specifically uses the language of law and order, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, my suspicion is that he's a, a pretty dangerous reactionary because we haven't heard from them in quite some time, but... Uh, it's a good rule. It's a good rule. If people say law yeah. and order, they're probably a fascist. Yes, exactly. Um, so a good good seeds may be planted there. But in any case, uh, this is, again, you said earlier, like Sheriff Berryman doesn't care about anything unless it affects him. Uh, this prompts him to really start taking Creeley and uh, Seth a little more seriously because the dead bodies are starting to be consequential for him. Right, yeah. So Melvin's trying to start campaigning. It's kind of weird because, like... Uh, you know, he, he sees this opportunity unfold right in front of him, and then all of a sudden he has these pamphlets he's, like, ready to throw, throw out to people. Yeah, but he's, it's, pretty, it's probably, uh, like, uh, <laughs> it's premeditated for sure, though, right? Like, you know, waiting for... Yeah. It's like it's like carrying a wedding ring around in your pocket or something. You're like, now is it? You got to make that proposal. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> when, you, when you see dead bodies on a Ferris wheel, <laughs> that's when it's time to run for sheriff. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, Everyone knows. Get down on one knee and ask the public to make you sheriff. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Well, <laughs> simultaneously, as all of that's unfolding, um, <laughs> there's a cutaway and we see um, the vacuum salesman slash assassin from last week. Right. And he is now tied up in the basement of Martha Riley's house for some reason. And Seth and Lou are really just giving it to him. Um, they're going to they're going to cut his his junk off is the the moral of that story <laughs> yeah well i wouldn't like they it don't either. though they don't know that's um, how they're they're trying to get him to talk they're kind of they're pulling out all of the all the stops here and uh torturing <laughs> him until he kind of talks about who sent him and it's this kind of like funny interchange that uh does some interesting character development with seth considering what happens later in the episode um but the the vacuum salesman the vacuum assassin uh, is like, oh, man, you're just a big phony, Seth. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're a liar. God's dead. Uh, you're going to send me back to the place uh, that I was before I was born and just darkness. And what do I care? And that, like, sets Seth off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Seth just, like, he shoots him once in the shoulder and is, like, you know, mad. And then uh, shoots him in the face and is like, well, that's what you get for, for blaspheming. And... It's funny because on the one hand, it's like, I, I mean, Seth's 
probably doesn't really think it's blaspheming. But uh, on the other hand, he's using that religious language to kind of like mask his uh, darker impulses. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting. There's so much enough. going on in that exchange because, um, well, like when Seth shoots him, he says something like you're a child of God or like you're loved by God or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Which is really unsettling. Uh, but you see Seth, like, the the mercenary gets a rise out of him by saying it's people like you are the reason that God is dead, right? Like, cynical people oh, start right. using religion or whatever. And that seems to kind of catch Seth, um, you know, wrongly, especially. And so he, he kills him for it. Um, and it's interesting because... <laughs> like it's hard to tell exactly what's going on, which I think is a good thing. Like the, the, the nuance is very important because the impression you get is Seth doesn't even really know exactly why that makes him <laughs> so upset, but it does, you know, enough to, to murder a person over it. Um, and it comes out again, I think a little bit later in the scene where Seth and Lou are at, are at church together. And, uh, you know, Lou is sort of getting Seth's good, I guess, by being like, you know, you don't really believe in this stuff. Do you, uh, and Seth, uh, actually starts like encouraging him to give it another thought. Like he's kind of evangelizing to Lou in a really interesting way. Um, and I love that, that like Seth, you know, earlier in the show, he's the, he's accused of being a, a cynic and now he's actually living into this pastoral role, uh, even literally by <laughs> trying to help Lou reconcile with his troubled past. Yeah, totally. Um, the quote from, from Seth is pretty telling actually. Um, the, the quote here is uh, from Seth to Lou. He says, uh, you know, this whole preacher act started out as a trick to get people to listen to our message, but maybe there's something to it. Sin, redemption, atonement. And it's like, he's having this kind of profound realization and like, listen, this whole thing is not as big of a joke as you think it is. Uh, but Lou does just laugh at him in his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that that's also interesting because Seth is revealed earlier too to be someone who thinks about their past a lot and Lou is not, right? He has the <laughs> Lou has the Nietzschean power of forgetting, you know, he's sort of just reinvented himself as a bank robber whereas Seth is is haunted by that past and is trying to make amends or atone for it, so he finds re in religion something and he he kind of calls Lou's bluff at one point, right? Like he says uh, maybe I forget the exact words, but the, the point is, you know, maybe religion is something that you should think about because for all your acts or whatever, like surely it keeps you up at night sometimes. Yeah. Right. Well, um, after that, uh, quick interchange, uh, we do, we do finally hear from the, the farm workers union again. Um, they are outside the church and uh, a big, you know, uh, eruption kind of happens and the conversation between uh lou and seth is all cut short and uh the farm workers are, are telling them that uh something something has happened um probably related to kelvin rumple leaving town but the bank has now decided that they're going to foreclose on all of their properties mm -hmm. unless they can pay so like you know a few weeks ago we had the penny auction and they saved martha riley's farm but now it doesn't seem like there's going to be any way kind of out of this um all of these Farmers are going to have their farms taken from them by the bank, um, kind of getting uh, Martin Eggers Hyde, uh, his whole thing, done. So that's like this big um, wrench thrown into everything at this moment, right? Se things seem to be kind of going um, 
at a in, in a direction where where maybe like the big shootout from uh two episodes ago might be kind of resolved and they can kind of start working on the organizing again but then the bank steps in and completely decimates their whole their whole like strike um and uh but but then yet again another pin is kind of put in that conversation when Sheriff Berryman shows up at the church. Um, we did kind of uh, neglect to talk about it specifically, but earlier in the episode, Creeley gets arrested by Berryman and he's like in jail. Um, and to get out of jail, uh, Creeley tells uh, Berryman that uh, there might be some more bodies uh, from Seth over at that church. Um, but as it turns out. Um, as you know from the Wikipedia read through, <laughs> the bodies were placed there by Creeley himself. So the sheriff shows up at the church. That was a long explanation. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Creeley, er, uh, the sheriff shows up at the church and they find some more dead bodies underneath the floorboards, uh, just where Creeley put them. Amelia and Seth are both kind of stunned that they're there. Like they're not exactly sure what to make of it, but they do say that, you know, they're framed. And uh, it seems like Berryman is at least a little bit sympathetic to that um, for one reason or the other. But they make this kind of weird deal where they um, they they tell Berryman that they'll find the real killer if they just give them, you know, a few hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that that persuades Sheriff Berryman to go along with it for whatever reason. <laughs> so um, uh, Amelia, Seth and Lou all go back to their house and start planning what they're going to do next. Yeah, I actually really like that exchange with Berryman and Seth and Amelia because uh, it shows that like Berryman is a guy who likes to make deals, right? He's always waiting on the next offer or something. And as dumb as Berryman is in some respects, he's also brilliant in others. You know, he, he's calculated and strategic, and he has that kind of flexible morality that allows him to sort of do his best to like see the delicate ecosystem that he lives in. Uh, and that comes back later in the show in this episode too. Um, but I just think it's like a neat, a neat thing. It's like, yes, for whatever reason, but the reason is kind of like Berryman is willing to wait and find out what they've got. Yeah. Because, um, again, he's really worried about being reelected and that's it. (laughs) So, right. If this can like work out in some way that benefits him, he'll kind of take it. And that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, before we get to that solution, uh, one <laughs> just minor note that I feel like we need to talk about because you brought up Creeley in jail is that uh, Sam Riley Jr. apparently lives in the sheriff's office now. Uh, <laughs> just anytime, anytime they go to the sheriff's office, they have to like call up the guy who plays Sam Riley Jr. and they're like, hey, sorry, man, like drop whatever you're doing. Like, we got to get you in here for a minute. Somebody's got to be upset about being in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they still think that he killed someone several episodes ago. Yeah, I, ooh, I honestly can't remember who it is now, but he—it's a farmer, I think. Him. Right? They, yeah, that's right. It was another farmer. Uh, and Creeley killed him <laughs> and like framed Sam Riley Jr. for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, poor Sam Riley Jr. He just gets the short end of that stick. <laughs> He's just in jail forever, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> just hanging out there at all times. Like I don't know what the timeline of the show is, but it's not like two days, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's where he is, though, in jail. <laughs> uh, so anyway, all right, yeah. Um, they've got this big problem. The bank is foreclosing, and uh, they also got to get the sheriff off their back. And uh, they come up with a brilliant idea <laughs> to 
rob a bank and get just enough money to get them through the winter. Uh, That's because Lou is um, in his other life that we don't know about until right now is a bank robber. (laughs) I love it. It's really good. Um, One thing that I'm confused about in this plan, but maybe it'll work out soon is uh, (laughs) like, okay, they rob the bank and then all of a sudden the farmers have all the money from the bank that they have to pay to the bank for their foreclosed homes. <laughs> so, I don't <laughs> a know. A suspicious. Yeah, there's something well, fishy there. The uh, the other thing, though, well, I mean, we'll get to it maybe more in a minute, but um, when they do rob the bank, they don't just steal money. They also steal, like, a bunch of paperwork about yeah, right. uh, who owns what land. So there's some other relevant stuff going on there, too. Yeah. Well, um, the, the whole... Okay, this whole scene is very interesting. So, um, you know, they have this problem. Uh, how are we going to figure out how to, like, you know, get money so these people's farms aren't foreclosed upon? And, like, when it gets into this situation and um, they know that also they have to figure out someone... Like, they have to figure out who else might have killed these people, <laughs> <laughs> these people from Chicago. Lou is like, well, it's been really great staying with you guys. Thanks for letting me take the bath in your house. I really loved it, but I am going to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, Amelia's like, oh, you're, why Why now? And as it, as it turns out, since the sheriff is coming here, that means that no one's going to be in the sheriff office and that he can go rob the bank and have a easy bank robbing time. Uh, and as he says that, you see, like, the light bulb just uh, light up above Amelia's head, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, wait, that's awesome. Wait. <laughs> Seth, are you also a bank robber? And Seth's like, nope. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> but then, he's, then she's like, well, you know, could could you be, though? And then she hatches this whole plan where it's like, uh, well, you guys are going to go rob the bank, and we're going to use the money to pay off the banks, um, which is a great cycle. I love this. This is how everyone should pay their debt off. Um, <laughs> not really, but uh, it's not the worst. At first, Lou is like, but I want the money. But they quickly talk him in to, like, uh, the farmers needing the money and that being sort of primary. And and Lou seems to me like the the kind of bank robber with, like, a heart of gold, right? Yeah, He's definitely yeah. going to rob that bank, but he is going to... He's going to Robin Hood this one, and uh, <laughs> I like that about him. He's uh, amazing. Yeah, they they do a little bit more evangelism to him, though, right? Not This time not about religion, this time about the rich. He's like, you know, right. doesn't it eat away at you? And apparently it does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, if the Bible doesn't get you, the class struggle will. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, the whole bank robbery scene is so fun. Everything about it is really fun. Um, you get the impression that everybody who wrote the scene was having a good time, but also everybody acting it like knew that this was very cool. Um, so that's neat. Uh, I love <laughs> that Lou also like picks a woman in the bank to just be his like bank robber girlfriend for a minute. Yeah, uh, that's it's so really good. fun. Yeah. Um, everything about it is just really great. Um, yeah, before we get on to the other stuff I really like about this, I do want to note that Seth does wear his, um, his bad guy, tough, uh, tough ombre sort of, uh, denim jacket again this time. That's right. He, the same one he used to uh, kidnap uh, Calvin Rumpel in an episode ago. And uh, I do, I just, if I could go back in time uh, to this 1930s fictional universe, I want to tell Seth, please be careful. You can be identified so easily in this jacket. <laughs> Not a lot of denim jackets around. Right. And in fact, he is kind of identified. Uh, the other, uh, I can't remember his name. Shoot. Uh, the other the Riley. The other Riley. Though. Yeah. Uh, the drunk Riley. 
Um, the drunk Riley. <laughs> I must really be shit faced, is what he thinks. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah, he sees his pastor robbing the bank, which I love. <laughs> this is so good. Yeah, I also love that. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's walk through the the scene just briefly, but um, in highlighting all the all the best parts. So yeah, they come to the bank. They close all the windows. Whatever. Um, <laughs> they run into some snags. One of them being that. The uh, the bank has like a lock that is timed and only opens at a certain time and Lou can't break into it, <laughs> but he makes the brilliant ob- observation that he says they upgraded the lock, but they didn't upgrade the door. Uh, so they dynamite the door to get all the money. Um, and like you said earlier, uh, Seth asks like the banker what all these papers are or something. And uh, they're all, I guess, plans for developing the area. Um so that's very important. Uh, it's the the secret plans of Martin Nicotide PhD are all right there. Um, <laughs> and then they they leave the bank, and as they're going out, uh, Lou tells his uh, his girlfriend that one day uh, they'll tell their grandchildren about this very good story. I love that. Um, that's yeah, gotta fantastic. Be, that's definitely my fan fiction. Um, and, uh, as they go out, uh, a guy, he stops and I love this line. It's really good. He says, uh, I've always wanted to be a hero <laughs> with a gun pointed at Lou and, uh, Lou replies, uh, I haven't, or I didn't. Um, and it looks like, you know, Lou's probably going to shoot this guy or vice versa. And Seth diffuses the situation by just throwing a ton of money up in the air and everybody scrambles for it. And the scene ends with Seth tipping his hat to Creeley, who's watching this all unfold sort of dejectedly from jail. Oh, it's so good. It's really I love good. everything about this. The yep. the hat tip is good. Man, even when Seth throws the money up in the air, somebody even tackles that guy. Yeah. I don't know like what is exactly <laughs> That's happening. Right. Someone does just jump and just tackle him onto the ground. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love Lunez. Lunez is great. Uh, let's we we should zoom in on that hat tip because it's really good. Um, there's like a lot being said there. I mean, on the one hand, it's kind of a snarky thing. Um, you know, uh, Seth and Lou have clearly sort of won the day while Creeley is behind bars. Uh, but on the other hand, um, seeing that after the the episode being peppered through with that flashback is really interesting because. I feel like it's also sort of a hat tip to back when they, you know, were buds, like the three of them um, palling around, even though they're they're kind of in like darker situations. Uh, they're bound together in that way. And the hat tip is also, I think, an acknowledgement, you know, on purpose that like they are still sort of uh, tied somehow. Uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just think the flashback sort of prepares you to to feel some some kind of emotion about that situation. Yeah, absolutely. There's a sense in which like the I mean, you see the flashback of them being buds at one time and then like you see some of this stuff happening and you just want them to be buds again so much. Mm-hmm. That's what like, I want, at least like you want Creeley to also be robbing the bank is what you want. Yeah, that's exactly what I want. OK, simultaneously, as this is all happening, <laughs> well, <laughs> Sheriff Berryman does show up at uh, Seth and Amelia's house to kind of get to the bottom of this whole killer situation. Um, and Seth isn't there, uh, but Amelia is, and there's this other amazing, like, okay, you know, there's this whole, like this whole big cowboy heist that happens, Mm -hmm. but then there's this whole separate awesome heist that happens at their house. (laughs) Maybe not heist, but she, but Amelia definitely does just like, just, she just gets the situation so well. Yeah. So like, 
so Sheriff Behrman walks in, and on the floor, splayed out in the middle of the room, is the vacuum cleaner salesman body with, like, you know, the hole through the head or whatever. And um, Amelia just says, you know, like, feigning sort of a, like a damsel distress <laughs> moment. She's like, oh, wow, good thing you got here. This guy just tried to break into my house, and I had to shoot him. Wow, it's so terrible. Yeah, yeah. And then, and Berryman's just, like, has this moment where he's like, okay, like, level with me. Like, do you think I'm this dumb? Like, what are you doing? And she's just like... Yeah, but I mean, isn't it awesome that you have someone that killed, uh, that you have, you know, an uh, uh, answer to this murder and, like, no one has to really get in trouble for it. And, like, also, you solved the murder. Isn't that cool? And Veryman's like, yeah, good point. It is cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> if that's not enough, it gets it gets even funnier because they, like, uh, Berryman and Amelia leave the house together and all and like all of a sudden DL is out there mm-hmm. and and before like even sort of solidifying the story with uh, Berryman Amelia is just like hey DL here's this wild thing that happened this yeah. dude broke into my house and Sheriff Berryman shot him isn't that crazy <laughs> and DL's like oh yeah okay good I'm writing this down for the paper tomorrow <laughs> it's just the most amazing story it's the most amazing thing because like Berryman I guess is just gonna have to go for it now because now DL's running it down <laughs> yeah she also like uh rubs some salt in the wound a little bit by saying uh he's like well why were you coming out here in the first place and she says oh for my cooking which is great because earlier in the show uh Sheriff Berryman you know uh casts aspersions on her biscuits uh so I like that as well forcing him to admit that he likes her cooking is really good yeah it's awesome Love it. Love Amelia. Love, love Lou. Yeah. Seth's all right, too. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, I actually felt, um, I don't know, like last episode and to a lesser extent, the one right before that, he kind of is starting to get like a little too wild or like too crazy. Um, but I think he comes back around. There's some really sympathetic moments for Seth here, too. Uh, I mean, he yeah. still has that like <laughs> shooting that guy, which is the whole thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that guy was also shooting at him. Uh, but that's true. I, I think uh, seeing him stand up for Creeley is cool, and uh, also the the moment in the church where he's kind of like, you know, maybe I really do believe in this is really sympathetic. And then of course he also is a bank robber, and that's great. I love all of that, and he's got that good denim jacket. Um, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So then the the episode kind of rounds out with Greeley getting out of jail. Um, he made a deal with the sheriff. It's a whole thing. We didn't really talk about it. We don't have time to either, but that's okay. Um, and he goes back to the brothel, and he's you know uh, bootless, and it's a bummer. But uh, Martin Eggers Hyde is there waiting for him, apparently reading the underground newspaper. Um, and then the episode just kind of ends, and uh, it's. Creeley leaving uh, with, you know, boots in hand with Martin Eggers Hyde out into his car and Bessie kind of like sees him leaving and Creeley makes eyes at her just like, yeah, I'm in the shit now. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. That's how it ends. And uh, I guess we'll have to see what happens next. Yeah. Dean, what do you think will happen next as a person who doesn't know? What Oof. what's go- what do you what do you see uh, going on here? Because we're at episode six. We've got, you know, a few more episodes left. Where do you see this all going? I mean, it's so tough. Um, Creeley and Bessie are going to get married. Creeley's going to be a school teacher. Bessie is going to live in that house. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, will Sam Riley get out of jail? That's something on my mind. Um, but what's going to happen next? All right, here's what I think. I think that we have three episodes left. Uh, by the end... There are four, right? Because there's ten. Right, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's right. Okay. <laughs> By the by, the end, um, I think DL Sullivan's gonna die. That's a prediction oh, I'm making. Really? It's just 
So I just feel it. I don't know. Maybe not, but it's something I feel in my bones. Um, I think that uh, Melvin Stubbs is part of the Black Legion. I think that. He's got that Law and Order stuff. Um, I think that, let's see. Uh, I think Creeley's going to flip. I think he's going to find a way to flip on Martin Eggers Hyde. Um, that might be wishful thinking, but I think it's true. Um, and I think Sheriff Berryman is also going to end up on the right side of the conflict just because he's a, you know, complicated, but somewhat lovable character. Those are my, those are my main predictions right now. Yeah. Well, those are predictions for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, Calvin Rumpel will have a a successful banking career elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, we can only hope so. (laughs) I, I do not. I hope that he, uh, Loses all of his fortunes. That'd be fine too. He did pee himself, so that's right. So in a way, he's lost a few. He's a, that's right. Uh, okay, cool. Well, yeah. that's everything that happens. That's those are Dean's predictions. We'll revisit those maybe next week. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So um, we're gonna do episode seven here pretty quick, um, and uh, we'll have Marika Rose from uh, if you. If you don't know who she is, she's a really great theologian and been in the Magnificast a bunch of times, but she'll uh, be on to talk to us about the show. That'd be pretty cool, too. So uh, stay tuned, and we're going to finish out the season uh, of the of Damnation if it kills us. <laughs> it might. It might. <laughs> it might kill us. All right. <laughs> see you next week. <laughs>